0: and welcome to Traceability. I am your host, Tracy Edwards, and today I am so excited to have Greg Brown with us. Greg is a change leader, an internationally known speaker and presenter. He is also the author of the book Ready, Set, Change. So I'm very excited to be able to connect with you today, Greg. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you, Tracy. I was just... uh thinking that it's been a long time since I've seen you, and as we were saying, it was Chicago, I think, last time. So mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. good to ha- be with you today and with everybody listening.
0: Yes, for sure. So how we typically start here is I ask you to go back to the beginning, and how did you get your professional start and, and uh, go from there?
1: Well, how I got my professional start was I was 10 years old, and I sat down my sister and their friends at a chalkboard. And I was teaching them math or something. And I thought, you know, I really want to be a teacher. And I really enjoyed teaching. And as I went through school, I realized I didn't, I'd worked with kids during uh, the summer. And I realized I didn't want to be with kids nine months a year. So I started to look at, you know, teaching adults and adult education. And eventually, you know, at a school, I landed at Starbucks in British Columbia back in, the late '80s, so I'm, I'm dating myself here, and I was part of the team that opened the first wave in Canada, which was really exciting. And you know, I got to go into stores and train people and do that stuff. And I realized that I loved training people, and I loved, you know, seeing those light bulbs come on and. You know, Starbucks back then, we were creating waves of change. And, you know, because no one went to coffee shops, there were Dunkin' Donuts or some donut shops that people went to, you know, Mr. Coffee or whatever they were. And so that really got my interest in presenting and training and change management. And then from there, I ended up working in healthcare in working with individuals who are actually living on the street and who were you know, going through this cycle of homelessness through to prison, a lot of them, and it, and the whole concept of behavior change and how do we work with people in the space that they are in to shift behavior. So that doesn't necessarily mean when you're working with people on the street to make them clean and sober, so that would be nice, but it's really about given the context of where they're at, how can we help them the best that they can? And doesn't that just translate well to the world of work? Because you know, one of the principles of change management is start where people are at. So, you know, that groundwork of working with people on the street, working in healthcare, working at Starbucks led me into working on projects and initiatives and leading people down the path of change, whether it was your leadership development work, whether it was large-scale IT implementations. Regardless of what it was, it was the same principles, you know, meet people where they are and get them down the path. And that's how it all started. And here I am, you know, 30 years later.
0: I find that very interesting, especially starting with Starbucks in the early days. And you really got sort of a baptism by fire into startup culture. Mm-hmm. And startups are very much change driven and unafraid of being change driven afraid of sort of that instability that that change can bring,
1: and being different. And you know, and the trick is, you know, when we're talking about careers, you know, people will often say to me, you know, I need to conform to this or you know do this. And and yes, there's professional conform conformity that you need to have. However, people hire you because of who you are, not who someone else is, right? And especially in my world as a speaker now, you know, I've had to learn, that I'm still learning this that the more I bring my true self to the table, the more effective I am.
0: I love that. And I absolutely agree, especially as, as I've gotten older. I think when I was younger, I was sort of more insecure and unsure of myself and how I was to behave and, in the different ways in my career. And, and I think sometimes that sort of kept me from moving forward a, a little bit and exploring new things and i love how you sort of segued change management into sort of that personal transformation that can often be quite scary for us
1: well it is and you know i've led a lot of large scale change and small ones just like every ba has every project manager has every vice president has you know everybody your you know, whole world of work is based on change and especially now you know going through a pandemic and, and I think what I really realized was the pieces that excited me were not the frameworks, the plans, the theories, you know, no, those are all important. Don't get me wrong. You need to have that knowledge. You need to have that understanding. You need to have the academic background or some training or whatever it is that you need. Um, you can't just make it up. But what really fired me up was that, you know, I learned early on through baptism by fire that you know i could do the best change management plan or framework in the planet and if i couldn't lead the people whether they reported to me or not most of us you know are mostly influencing right if i couldn't lead whether it was the ceo or you know the customers or the team i was working with or people on the street or whoever lead them down that path of change i was not effective
0: so how do you or what do you think it is that sort of from a leadership perspective eventually is the thing that makes it click for people where they are willing to sort of brave the change?
1: Right. So I think a couple of things. I think first thing that most of us forget as leaders, and I believe everybody here is that's listening is a leader or you wouldn't be listening to this because leadership is not about a job title. It's about, you know, growing in who we are. You know, I've worked with frontline admin professionals who I would say are better leaders than some CEOs I've worked with over the years. It's not about your job title. So I just have to put that out there. That's my belief. What I think is, you know, as leaders, we forget that the change happens in the mind of the other person. And it's not about us. Yes, we have our mandate, but it really is all about them. So we need to meet them where they are. And, you know, the piece around that that makes it click, I think, and again, it's from a leadership perspective. We think we need to have all the answers. And yet what we know is we don't. To move people down that path of change, sometimes you just need to listen and acknowledge their issues and get them out. You know, it's like an example that comes to mind is we were moving our offices from north of the city where I live to, to downtown, it was going to create an extra commute of an hour and a half for some team members. There was nothing we could do to change the process, but I had to open every meeting with a 15-minute, let's get the crap on the table. I can't change any of it, but let's just talk about it. Because when you feel that people are aligned with you, especially in a crisis, like what we're going through now, when you feel that people are in alignment with you, meaning they understand you, they hear you, they can disagree with you, but you're still more likely to engage with them if... You have that alignment. And it's that, you know, what I've seen that's successful over the years is you have to be able to agree to disagree. And, and you know, in the last number of years, you know, we've seen that deteriorate on, uh, I would say, in various countries around the world politically, where, you know, it's not okay to disagree. We have to get into name calling and crap like that. And, you know, that's not okay. And it's not okay at work because it won't engage us in moving down the path. We're all individuals. We all have our own beliefs. Sometimes you're going to agree with me. Sometimes you're not. And let's try to work together. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the key part.
0: The thing with division and disunity is there really are no winners. There's not. In that scenario. And so the only way for anyone to win is to agree to disagree and agree to continue having the conversations. And so... Um, I'm completely with you there.
1: And I think the thing is, is, you know, we think, you know, when we're leading down the path of change, it's about winning. And it's not about that. You know, you can't win in change management any more than you can win in a relationship at home. You can imagine if you went home every day and said, I'm going to win over my spouse or partner or whoever I live with and get them to do things my way. You know, what's going to happen is if you do that every day, and for those of you that are listening and don't believe me, try it. You won't be in a relationship very long. If you do that, so don't do that. But if you go home and try to win over someone every day, you're not going to, you know, you won't be in the relationship that long. However, if you go home and try to seek agreement and that is, to me, it's the seeking agreement that is, you know, the core of moving people down that path. It's like we need to come to agreement somehow. It doesn't mean consensus. It doesn't mean that you agree with everything I'm doing. But it me- it can be agree to disagree. But agreement means we're coming together. And regardless of what's going on in the context of this, we are going to move forward as a team, even if you hate it. And then you might make a decision that this isn't for you anymore, and you might say bye-bye, and that's fine. We all have to make those decisions. But the reality is, if you're working for an organization, you're there for the common good, not for your professional, or not for your personal agenda. You're there for your professional agenda, but not your personal.
0: Right, right. So, you know, maybe speak about... To the times that that we're currently living in. Ooh. So as I've sort of been going through this last several months, I've just really sort of had the feeling that this is the time to really take risk.
1: Absolutely.
0: There are some that would probably disagree that, that this is the time to maybe seek more stability and such. And so maybe speak to taking risk and taking the right risks in a time of uncertainty?
1: For sure. So I think there's been, you know, risk, I love risk management, number one, because I have a project management background. So I love talking about risk. You know, during these times, to me, it's about taking calculated risks. And if you refuse to step out of your comfort zone, to try new things, or do things in a different way, or change how you do your business, or change, you know, if you're a retail business, and You've had to, if you've been in lockdown, anyway, here in Canada, we've been in lockdown, you, know, you have to learn how to do online sales. And you're going to go bankrupt if you don't learn how to do that. So that's a risk. So we have to be willing to step out of our comfort zone to be able to tiptoe out and try new things. You know, the example I give about calculated risks is very much tied to this Indiana Jones movie I remember years ago. And if you remember this scene, it was one of them I watched it when I was young. You know, he's he's trying to get to the Holy Grail. There's a big cavern with a big sort of dip in the middle of it. He's done all his calculating. He's, you know, worked out the logic. He's worked all that stuff out. And he has to, and it's a calculated risk, right? So it's not like, like I'm just going to walk out into the cavern and just see if I drop. He's done, he's like, if I'm supposed to do this, I'll put my foot out. So he puts his foot out and then that pathway appears and he can walk across to get the Holy Grail. And that's what I mean by calculated risk. He didn't just run into the cavern and go, oh, I'm just going to like step into this chasm and hope something comes up. It was like he had to do all of that work to get there. And I think that, you know, during these times... I've been leading a lot of sessions on how to lead through a crisis right now because, you know, crises are change management. It's all change management. Right, right. And, you know, the three pieces that, that are really showing up for leaders that I see that are successful are the ability to have that cognitive flexibility, meaning to get out of that black and white thinking and play in the gray area and look for alternatives and look for options. You know, things that BAs I find are really good at generally. The second piece that we look at is what I would maybe call your attitudinal flexibility, meaning you have to be flexible with your attitude. You want to be optimistic yet realistic, you know. And then the third piece is the ability to have that emotional flexibility, being willing during change especially a crisis like what we're going through as a leader. You want to be able to feel comfortable to share what's going on with you emotionally with your team and vice versa. Because during these times, you've seen this intersection of house and home and work like you've never seen before. I mean, I've always, well, I haven't always worked at home. That's not true. I've worked at home mostly for the last five years. And then before I worked part-time at home. And, you know, there's this much more intersection now of personal professional because of the pandemic. And I think, you know, we've all been cultured. Don't bring your personal life to work. Keep it out of work. You know, all this crap. And it, and maybe that was true 20 years ago, but it's not true anymore. You know, I do sessions online and you know I've had people from NATO and IMF and World Bank and the UN and UNAIDS and like big organizations online. And my cat will come. He's a big Furry Mocha Siberian will come for a bezel, and you see this big tail. And I'm just like, you know, and and if people don't like it and think that's unprofessional, screw them. I don't care. You know, the way it's the way the world is today.
0: It is. I have a big manx, oh. so you, you don't see the tail, but you definitely hear the the spoiled in him for
1: <laughs> for sure. Well, that's right, right. So I think you know leaders and. You know, everyone listening, like I said, I think as a leader, you wouldn't be on this podcast, you know, when we hold back how things are affecting us, especially this crisis, it suppresses it it comes out in other ways. So, you know, we want to be able to feel free to share with our team, you know, I'm not sure how this is going to go either. When you do that, you build that bridge of alignment and you build that bridge of trust. And I'm not saying walk around and tell everybody what a loser you are. Like, that's not what I'm saying. Like, you don't start everything with like, oh, I'm nervous about this or I hate this. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But if it's appropriate and it's important and you and there's an intention around, you know, this is going to build a bridge with my team, they need to know that I'm in this with them. Because the difference is with these times we're all leading alongside our teams. We're not behind like a bulldozer like at other times we're trying to push people forward. And BAs are in that role constantly trying to like get everybody aligned, push them forward. They're not at the front pulling people along to this vision. You know, we're all leading alongside. We're all in this together. I don't care if you're the CEO or a frontline receptionist. We're all in the same boat.
0: Absolutely. So going back to sort of some of the personal change in your career. So you were you were with Starbucks and doing some training and then you moved um, into a social health care yeah. kind of space. How did you go from there to, okay, now I'm going to consult and I'm going to do, do my own thing?
1: So it's a really neat story, you know, and I think, well, I think it's neat because it's my story. We all like our stories, you know, and I think one of the things, you know, that I tell people because I coach a lot of entrepreneurs and I used to coach people with career stuff years ago, is that it's all about being open to the unexpected signposts that come up in your life that say, take this direction instead of this direction. You know, it's that risk taking, right? So what happened to me when I left Starbucks? I went to work at a ski resort as head and food food of beverage. That lasted six months. I knew it wasn't going to work, so I knew they were going to fire me or I was going to quit. So they just decided not to renew my contract. I hated being there, and they hated me. It just was not a fit. And I went to live with friends in Richmond, British Columbia. Back in this is nineteen ninety two or three, and. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I read an article in a newspaper. I was just I'm like, what am I going to do? I want to help. I want to do, I need to work, but I don't like what I'm doing. And I read an article in a newspaper about inmates being denied access to healthcare. Like, I didn't know any prisoners in my life. I didn't know any crooks that I knew of. You know, I didn't know people in jail or anything, but I read that. And I'm Canadian, right? So, you know, in Canada, we all get access to healthcare. It's not something... You know, you pay, I don't know how much you have to pay, 35 bucks a month or something, or it's taken in your taxes. But we all get free health care. And I couldn't believe these inmates were being denied some, it was specific access to some type of care, and I couldn't remember. But my, my, I just, I lost it. I'm like, this is, I was this naive young 24-year-old, and I was like, oh, this is stupid. I can't believe people in Canada can't get health care. So I wrote an article, I wrote a letter to the guy who wrote the article, because there was no email back then. And I said, I need to get involved. So, I started volunteering going into jails and visiting with the inmates and teaching them some social skills and stuff. And then eventually, you know, I had a job doing that part time. And then it just sort of exploded from there. I mean, I started to present at conferences on working with inmates. And then it just sort of transitioned, you know, after a period of time as I came done. And then it, I started to work. The transition then was into more healthcare, even though that was healthcare, working with people on the street and in jail. And then, you know, I went to hospitals and the nursing associations, but it was all in a training, educational presentation capacity. And people say, well, there's, that's such a change in career, working with crux and prisoners at the front line to, you know, teaching nurses educational techniques. I'm like, not at all. They're people and they're learning. You know, it's, it's the thread that is, you know, through my career, whether it's you're know, presenting a BA world and Project Summit business analyst world, or whether it's, you know, doing a presentation to a bunch of criminals, it's all the same, trying to meet people where they are, give them some ideas, tips and techniques that they can use to make their lives better. So that's why I did that. And I just sort of stayed open.
0: Well, and I think that's what we have to do. I think there are times in our lives when opportunities sort of present themselves to us. And we can either stay where we are because it makes us a little nervous or we can just sort of jump right in to it.
1: That calculated risk, right? So I, you know, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, just I coach them for free. Just it's a freebie thing I like to do to help other people. And, you know, one of the things I say to people, you you still have to pay your rent. So don't quit your job and start a business. You know, look at what the transition is going to be. And so it is about a calculated risk. And it's about, you know, career-wise, not talking yourself out of something before you do it. You know, I've worked with so many people over the years so like, oh my gosh, this really good job came up. Oh, but I don't have this qualification. Oh, but you know, I'm not sure if I'm really going to like it. Um, I'm like, they're talking themselves out of it and they haven't even sent the resume in. And I'm like, you know what? You can explore an idea without committing to it. So why don't you submit the resume? If they go, if they offer you the job, you can always say no. You don't have to say yes. You know, so it allows people to step into the possibility because we are the self-limiting beliefs are the biggest barrier to change.
0: Absolutely. And something that I've been thinking a lot about lately is I need to look at it more like, well, what's the good that can come out of it? So instead of, oh, this makes me nervous, think about, well, there could be these really good things that, that happen. And so it could give me all these other types of opportunities. I love that.
1: And I think, you know, a way that I might suggest just to reframe nervousness, you know, I, I used to teach a lot of presentation skills, and I'm teaching virtual presentation skills, is people getting up to speak in front of groups. You know, I think it's like the number one fear is speaking in front of groups. are like, I'm really nervous. And I say to people, why don't we just take that and switch that nervousness to excitement? Because it's not the feeling that you have is your feeling. It's like, "Mm -hmm." it's your interpretation of that feeling that determines how you're going to respond. So if I just say, let's just switch that nervousness and maybe just put it up to excitement, because I still get a little nervous. I'm going to speak to a thousand people. Yeah, I'm like, "Mm -hmm." but I don't. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so excited. So it's just a mindset shift because, you know, what we know, and this is change and behavior change and change management, change leadership, everything. It all starts with your mindset, you know, and and mindset's not a, a, you know, woo-woo term. It's a collection of neurons in your prefrontal cortex that determine how you're going to problem solve and decision make throughout the day. So let's program our little brains to work for us and not against us. Love that.
0: Love that. So, you know, I think a lot, um, especially in our profession, I, I think uh, that there's times when folks just sort of, they're in a spot and they don't know what the next thing is. And they they know they want some type of change, but they don't know what that change might be or what direction to sort of go in to discover that change. So are there some tips you would yeah. give to folks?
1: Yeah, first tip would be to watch what language you're using. So when we say, and this is all mindset neuroscience stuff, so people can Google that if they don't believe me. I'm not going to go into it on our call just because we don't have time for the whole neuro stuff behind it, but Google mindset stuff. So first thing to do is if you keep saying to yourself over and over, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do, you're going to continue to not know what to do. So I suggest to people shift your language just a bit. I'm figuring out what I'm going to do. Because you are in process of figuring it out. you know, So as soon as you start to say, I'm figuring out what I'm going to do, you might be at the beginning of that. But as soon as you do that, you are programming your brain to start to notice areas that are going to help you fulfill that. It's like you know, a part of your brain, it's different than your mindset. It's what we call your reticular activating system or your RAS, which is a collection of neurons in your brainstem. And it regulates a bunch of things like your sleep and adrenaline and cortisol. But the, the great thing that it does is it's your filter. It's your brain filter. It's the search results of your brain. And it tells you what to pay attention to. So it's like if you've ever bought a new car, you know, you buy a new red Ford Taurus. I don't even know if they make those anymore. But, you know, a new red Ford Taurus or a new Toyota or a new Oldsmobile or Buick. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, everybody else has a Buick. Or if you've ever been pregnant, you're like, oh my gosh, everybody else is pregnant. Or, you know, when I was in university writing papers, as soon as I had my topic, I'd be like, oh my gosh, there's some article in the newspaper here. There's something here. So you can trigger your brain to pay attention and notice things because you don't notice everything. It's like if I said to people here and people that are listening, try this. Draw the home screen of your mobile phone with all the apps where they go. And so people try that. I can tell you, not anybody can do that. There's nobody that I've ever worked with thousands of people. Nobody, I can't draw my home screen with all my apps where they go. I might get one right. Now you look at the home screen of your phone thousands of times a day. They say sometimes thousands, that might be too much, maybe hundreds of so times a day. I think I see thousands. You're constantly looking at the time. And you see it, but you don't see it. Because the brain's not triggered to pay attention to where the apps are. But if I said to you, Tracy, every time you look at your phone for the next hour, I want you to notice where every, all the apps are. You could draw that perfectly Probably. So we want to trigger our brains to pay attention to things. And we don't do that by saying, I don't know how to do this. Or I don't know what my purpose is. Or I don't know how to fit. You say, I'm in the process of figuring it out. Or I'm going to figure out what my purpose is. You know, I tell people... When they're looking for jobs, you don't say, I'm unemployed. I'm looking for job I work. I'm looking for a piece of work. You see, it's a different in conversation. It it triggers your brain to pay attention to things that are in your sphere. Because you know they say we only pay attention to about 10% of what we see. I mean, there's some stat around that somewhere. And it's true. You can't, if I told if everybody on the call, I said, you know, look around your room now where you're listening and find something red. Everybody could probably do it because I'm triggering you to pay that. And as change leaders, our job just to bring this to change is to trigger people to pay attention to things we want them to. And it's all brain science. It's all brain science. So does that answer your question? It's been a bit long way around, but it's it always starts with change your language because the language that you use shifts the thoughts that you think, which shifts the actions that you do in the world around you, and you want to pay attention to things that are going to fulfill your career.
0: Well, and I think it it um, puts us in a more optimistic state, whereas the other sort of leads, leaves us in a bit of a downer
1: kind of state. Well, yeah, and it is all about when you're in a downer state, your brain is paying attention to being a downer, not being an upper, and you know I'm human. There's times you know I catch myself. I'm like I don't know what to do, or you know I'm like okay, stop, Greg. I'm figuring out what to do. I am figuring it out. I don't. I'm, I get step one. I don't know what any of the steps are, but I am in the process of figuring it out.
0: Love it. So, what are some of the things you have had to figure out this last several months to sort of pivot or or adjust? I I assume you were used to traveling all the time yeah and that has uh, very much changed for you so so maybe talk about what some of that has looked like for you
1: yeah you know this has been the longest time i thought it was originally 2004 the longest time since i've been on a plane the longest time, it's actually 1993 is the <laughs> longest time i haven't been on a plane nine months Because I've always gone on vacations every four or five months. You know, back even when I was young, I did that. Cheap vacations, but vacations. And you already traveled for work or whatever. It's since 1993, if you can imagine. Like I'd go to conferences. Yes. So it's uh, 27 years. So my biggest adjustments were my calendar cleared like the middle of March, like everybody who does my work did. And I was fortunate that I had a number of clients that I already did virtual sessions for. I said, can you do something on leadership habits for remote teams? And can you do something on, you know, leading and change and dealing with this? I'm like, okay. You know, so I cobbled some stuff together. And then that, I had a record April, which was great. And then, you know, things started to normalize after about three months. And yeah, I had a good year. And it's really about, I had to shift my perspective. My office isn't my office anymore. It's a studio. It used to be all fancy design with pictures on the wall and nice. Uh, now everything's movable. I have lights. I have, you know, cameras. I have a cat that visits once in a while. You know, I can't shut the door, but I will howl and we'll all hear him. Um, so, you know, there's, it, 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 I think what I had to do, I went through what everybody else went through. Right. So there's that, We all went through this two weeks, and I speak here in Canada about paralysis. I'm like, oh, my God, what's happening? Are we all going to die? Remember, everybody's running to buy toilet paper, and I know they did that in New York, too. It was crazy. I'm like, diarrhea is not a symptom of this. As far as we know. And I was howling. Anyway, so we all ran to buy. I I already, already keep a good stash of toilet paper, so I didn't do that. But, you know, we stocked up on meat. We did weird, weird things. So I think that's normal. So first off, you know, when you go through change, there's always that piece at the beginning where you're like, Ugh! but eventually you have to adapt to it. And I think, you know, we all figured out different ways. For me, what it involved was not watching the news first thing in the morning, not being glued to the news. I tell people that constantly turn off the news. Don't let the news in until you're ready to let it in. So you've got your brain and your mindset set for the day, then let it in. If you leave CNN on all day long or Fox or whatever you listen to in the U.S. or in Canada, CTV or any of the others, you're not going to have a good day because it's all stuff you don't have control over. You know, We want to focus on what we have control over. We have control on how we show up at work, how we engage with others. I don't have control over what people are doing traveling during coronavirus and stuff like that. I don't. So I want to be informed, but I want to manage my sanity attached to that. So that's the first thing. Narrow your focus. Create perspective. I had to take things in perspective and narrow my focus down and turn off the news. That's like, don't let it into your brain before you go to bed and don't put it in when you start your day. Pick a time, then let it in. Be conscious of that.
0: I definitely agree with you there. I thought that I would turn the news on the other day just, just for a little anecdote here. And it was the end of the day. It was before my company's virtual happy hour. You know, I thought I'd well, that's just just sort of catch up. Oh my goodness, it got me all wound up. And so I have since then gone back to my no news.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> or, <laughs> and, right. And it's it is about, you know, for me it's it's really about it's it's you know that example of, you know, Indiana Jones doing your calculated risks. And, you know, I did have some, you know, weird COVID projects I did that were sort of stupid. I wasted money on like about a blow up kayak, which was dumb. I used it once, you know. So, but I think what it is, you know, if I have to tell people, it's about having patience with yourself that you're not going to be normal for something like this, whatever normal is to you. And that as you go through these crises, things are going to shift and change. And you have to be patient with that. And it's the same with change at work, you know there's going to be times you're like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And then you're like, I better change that. To I'm figuring it out. And then, you know, you sort of go down that path and you'll you'll have ups and downs. I think it's about the, I had, you know, a blah day about three weeks ago or four weeks ago. And you just sort of go, Oh, you know, and I think it's about being patient with yourself for that and keeping yourself motivated to perform.
0: So um, what's the next year looking like for you as we wrap up?
1: Well, you know, I don't know at this point. So I am doing a little business retreat in two weeks, just myself for four days. I'm going to go away somewhere and hole up in a hotel, probably where there's no COVID, of course. And so means so I live in a small town, so I'm lucky. I'm in a little town called Port Dover on the north shore of Lake Erie. So you know very few COVID cases, so I'm lucky. So I'll probably go to another small town and find a little hotel I can hold up in four days. I'm going to do a business strategy session just with myself and see what I want to do. I mean, I'm hopeful with vaccination stuff coming out that by the second half of the year, we can move back into in-person events or a hybrid. Because, you know, I love being able to connect with people all over the world and, I'm really missing gathering with people and I miss hugs and I miss people talking to me and I miss, you know, all of that sort of. And I'm a very, you know, I'm a raging extrovert. I love being with people. And, you know, if I hadn't had Zoom, I'd be probably jumping off the edge of my deck here (laughs) into the water. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think it is. So I have a bunch of things already booked you know, virtual sessions that go through from January till, I don't know, March, you know, my usual client folks will fill me up with other presentations and workshops and keynotes and stuff. So I'm just really grateful that I've been able to work throughout this process and to, you know, live my life when so many people are having such difficult times. So, you know, that's sort of what next year's looking like. I want it to be different than this year, as does everybody else on the planet.
0: Yes, for sure. So I'm also going to be taking some time. The the week between Christmas and New Year, um going to be sort of my time to do a similar activity. So for, for those listening, definitely recommend taking some time to sort of discover what you want your next year to, to look like.
1: I love that because let me just add that part because it ties back to what we set is that if you go, you know, it's like, you know, if if you get in your car and, and you're using Google Maps or whatever, and you don't program a destination, you do not know where you're going to go. So the trick is, and this is all about the brain stuff, right? It's like, get that reticular activating system working for you by putting a stake in the sense that these are some of the things I want to do next year. This is how I'd like to make them happen. So you put that in the sand, you trigger your brain to notice ways to get there. You might deviate and go other places, which is great. And you're so right, Tracy, you want to put that stake in the sand and come up with some ideas that are realistic, doable, maybe a bit of a stretch, but not too stretchy because those don't tend to be more discouraging and, you know, get it in the sand, get it listed out. What are some things and not just New Year's resolutions, you know, Needs to be, what do I want to do? And what are some things I can do that? And if you're like, I don't know what to do, switch that. I'm figuring out what to do. I'm discovering, yeah, I'm figuring out what I'm going to do. I'm in the process of figuring out what I'm going to do next year.
0: Love that. So how can folks find you?
1: Well, a couple ways. They can find me on LinkedIn and we're connected. You and Tracy and Tracy and I are connected on LinkedIn. So you can find mm-hmm. me through there. They can also go to my website, Greg Brown, G-R-E-G-G-B. It was in brown, the color, Greg Brown, dot brownca not .com. If you go .com, you get a folk singer. So, uh, yeah, it's not me. It's lots of hair. Uh, so yeah, greatground.ca or uh, email me, at Greg at greatground.ca G-R-E-G-G.
0: Awesome. Well, hey, thanks so much for your time today and for all your insight. I really enjoyed uh, our visit.
1: So thanks Thank for being you, here. See, it's so fun. And I'm, you know, I really wanted to be a part of this because, you know, I've worked so much with BAs over the years and I think there's, you know, there used to be a myth that said, I want to grow up to be a project manager. And it was this, you know, sort of a stupid myth, I think. Whereas I what I love about BAs is the BA discipline. You can be a vice president with the BA background, you can be a director, you can be a senior learning leader, you can work in policy. And you know, I think it's just lovely that you're doing this to support BAs in whatever role you're in to continue to grow your practice because um, I'm not a business analyst. I have no idea how to do it. I hate all that stuff. I like to have people around me that do it. So my hat goes off to all of you that are listening and, you know, listen to these podcasts and do things that are going to grow your career. You don't need to move away from being a BA. You own your BA-ness and take it to new levels if you want to.
0: Awesome. And thank you for that plug and uh, for your love of business analysts. So really appreciate your time today.
1: Thank you, Tracy. Bye, everyone.